Coming up next, the booking reads The Two Towers. Hey everybody, welcome to The Booketing. My name's Nathan, that's Brandon. Hey! We're here to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien. Yep. <sighs> we sure are. And... The two towers, and talking about towers, we have the towering of intellects here. Yep. The two towers of intellect. The two towers of pure brain power. That's right. Pure wisdom. Yep. And... Which one's <laughs> Isengard and which one's... <laughs> or- <laughs> Or one. think, yeah. <laughs> you might also. Which one of you, us do you think would be flotsam, and which one of us would be jetsam, Brandon? That's really interesting. Is it, is it really that's interesting? Really, I think that's a fascinating question. <laughs> You've got a great definition of interesting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> huh, Nathan. I don't know. I'll be jetsam. Okay, I'll be flotsam then. Flotsam? Is that how you say it? Or f- how'd you say it? Flotsam? I don't know. I, re- I listened to the audio book, and they, I think the guy said flotsam because they float. Yeah, they flotsam. Flotsam and jetsam. I don't know. I don't know that flotsam. I've ever seen those words outside of that. So that chapter title. Float Sam and Jet Sam. Float Sam and Jet Sam. Yeah. You like think what, it was a reference to Sam, Wise Gamgee? I was going to say, it's what Frodo said to Sam when he tried to sail to the, yeah. the Great Havens and yeah. fell over over the ship. Float Sam, <laughs> <Yep>. Jet Sam. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's, That's your episode for today, guys. Yep. Hey, uh, so on our way here, we were attacked by a Balrog, and who should stand against him with all his pastoral power, but when pastor who's a master of reading jake mensel and he fell he fell into the abyss yep so that was too bad (laughs) that's very bad yeah but the good thing is me and brandon are doing just fine yep and we're alive a little birdie tells me that likely jake will defeat the balrog and come back to fight another day probably not by this episode yeah probably not there's always the possibility he'll walk in but jake's a pastor he's got a lot of responsibilities outside of the bookening yep and duty called so me and Brandon are going to carry on without him today because, frankly, we need to get an episode done. Yes. So let's talk about The Two Towers. I think we left off last time, Brandon, around the time that Gandalf was resurrected and came back, the, the White Rider. Yes. Chapter five. And I actually want you to help me piece together my thoughts on this. All right. Because I've been thinking about this chapter a lot, actually. It's one of my favorite chapters in the book. Obviously, Gandalf comes back and he tells the story and it's this really grand, awesome story of falling into the abyss and fighting the Balrog and they fight through the depths of the earth and then they end up on a mountain and he smote his foe upon the mountaintop and all this kind of stuff. It's just one of the coolest, most in touch with that numinous, otherly feeling that we've talked a lot about sections of... Lord of the Rings, yeah. in my mind. It's really awesome. It's just told in retrospect, which, or however you say that, some a character is telling another character. Is there is there a name for that literary device? Where one character is talking to another character? Where we don't, within the time frame of the book, actually experience the event. We oh. just have somebody tell somebody about it or hear about it afterwards. I mean, I guess it would... <laughs> similar to... Just a third-person narration yeah. <laughs> by the person talking. And he's relating to a, a dramatic monologue or a dramatic dialogue. Well, it's like a lot of times in Jane Austen, you don't actually know that Darcy went and hunted down Mr. Yes. Mr. Wickham. You just find out about it afterwards. It's not actually hearsay, part of the- But you hear it, of it through that character. Right. And you get yeah. a narrative. You get you get like a, a letter that actually tells us, tells both Lizzie, the character, and us, the reader, the story. But- you're not actually experiencing it in real time with Mr. Darcy. I'll feel really dumb about it if there's a term I'm supposed to have remembered. Hey, let's let's just speak strongly here. There is no term. There Brandon is no would term. know it if there was a I term. I would know it. The closest I can think of is like a Robert Browning dramatic mon- monologue, mm-hmm. but that's that's more where the person you're supposed to read into what the person's saying, like uh, my last duchess, but he's not really relating what he did. Right. This is just sort of yeah. I mean, it's just just a. I guess the close, so, oh, what do they call it? 
when in the movie they use the characters to give you plot devices. Exposition? Exposition. Right. It's kind of expository. Yeah. It's it narratively works because here you have Gandalf showing up and he's all white now. And so of course these hobbits are gonna want to know how he got all white. Mm-hmm. Are these not hobbits? Not case. hobbits, that's right. Humans. Aragorn, well, <laughs> human yeah, elf. Sorry, and sorry to be all dwarf. human human centric there, folks. Yeah. Come on, Nathan. Well, so it is interesting how that has the effect of actually removing you from narrative tension. Like it actually does put you at a distance from that material, even though the whole story is a fiction and B you being told about something that ostensibly happened when there's that, uh, that second layer of removal from it, you actually do feel differently about it. It's the same when there's a lot of that actually in Lord of the Rings. And it's the same. It's one of the things that's actually disappointing to me in the upcoming chapter, flotsam and jetsam, when Pippin and Mary just tell the story of how Treebeard took down Orthanc is Soromon's. Isengard. Uh, no, 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 Isengard. Yeah, how they took down Isengard. Like, that's actually somehow not as exciting as if we'd just been there. And I have no but idea. Orthanc is somehow related to that, right? Yeah, sure. I don't know. What are we, nerds? Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> what do we, read Lord of the Rings in our spare time? Come on. No. <laughs> anyway, all that to say. This is one of the most uh, numinous, most fey passages of the book. It's this mm. big, grand, legendary. It's the kind of thing that Tolkien would write about in the Similarian. It's this character undergoing this almost revelations, like you know, from the Bible, like this this almost biblical apocalyptic fight with this demon from the underworld and triumphing over him and all this stuff. And I always really enter the into the feeling when I read that. I actually read Spark Notes. I've read the book many times, and I read the book in preparation for this, but I, I like to look at Spark Notes sometimes and some of those literary websites just to see what the conventional wisdom is on some of these things. And what they said, and they're not Christians by any stretch of the imagination, is that this is obviously Gandalf as a Christ figure. He falls into the darkness and dies and is resurrected. Dies and is resurrected. And this is the only way to, well, they didn't say this is the only way to read it, but they said like any idiot is going to read it that way. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're Christian, non-Christian. Like, this is obviously Christological. Now. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm not going to dispute that. What I do, I think, well, this is where I need your help. This, this is where my thoughts become cloudy, and I'm trying to kind of figure out what I think about all this. And I'm not even sure how to articulate the problem. So will you bear with me, Brandon? I will. As I try and articulate the problem. I think Christians make much of that. Like what they what Christians want to say, you know, they'll they'll quote the weight of glory by C.S. Lewis, that essay about how we all have a longing that ultimately, you know, we might try and fulfill that longing in poetry and food and drink and nostalgia and all kinds of things. But ultimately what we're longing for is another world. What we're longing for is to be with Christ. And so what they will say is Tolkien's giving you a little picture of a Christ figure here. And that's the reason why it has potency. Ultimately, it's playing with these themes of of death and resurrection. And so, insofar as Tolkien is giving you a little peek into a real truth about God and about the world, that's why it has its potency. And, you know, the Gospel Coalition and people like that will make much of this. And so, we've talked about why Tolkien didn't really like to do allegory. Or, or didn't like to think his, of his books as allegory. But laying that aside, I still think I have a problem with that line of thinking. I found myself uncomfortable with it. I found myself thinking, you know, maybe the reason I get this fey mystic feeling when I read about Gandalf plunging into the darkness and fighting a Balrog is not because I'm reading about a type or a symbol of Christ, but because I'm reading about a wizard fighting a Balrog. Like maybe that's it. Yeah. Actually, maybe maybe there's, maybe there's not that much more to it. Are are there associations? Are there? I don't want to take away completely the idea that it is a type. That it's is this type, or that it resonates because it's connected to these larger truths. But I also want to say, let's not miss the smaller truths, and let's not negate the fact that the smaller truths are actually what make this passage good. Yeah, there's a tendency for Christians in their thinking about art and aesthetics to tiptoe into, and I think maybe we talked about this in that, you saw Warhorn put out an aesthetics yeah. 
podcast where people people can download or pay or get to get it somehow, right? Yeah, somehow, um, yeah. Yeah, you can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can like uh, DM me or email me, folks. I'll figure out a way. We talked a little bit about this, I think, on those podcasts where there's a tendency for us to put too much weight into the power of metaphor. And so while words have power through their meaning and through their metaphors and through their images and stuff like that, we can often allow ourselves to get caught up in the tel- sort of transcendent mysticism of it, mm-hmm. and which is all just feeling and um, gives mystery to words that almost turns words into idols, yeah, right, and stories into idols and images into idols, and we think that they can do things that is exclusive to the gospel, yeah. And so the danger of that is then we start thinking that everything that does something like that is suddenly redeemed. Mm-hmm. And so we start saying Breaking Bad is a, you know, good because it's a type of Christ right. somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Sopranos and stuff like that. And which, we're starting, is, which you're not even exaggerating when you use those examples. People, no, people do that people all the time. Or you'll have like Sunday school classes on Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And uh, while those things share in the sacrifice story, the resurrection story, things like that. It doesn't mean that that's where they get their value. Yeah. Like somehow they are okay because like they tap a little bit into the Christ experience and therefore they're giving you something that you, they're give, they're giving you something that you really can only get, not really, that you only can get from the gospels. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, while they are, while they share similar storylines, it doesn't make them like, valuable because that's what they're doing. Right. Right. So yeah, I agree. I think that the Feyness, this sort of thing through a wizard story, it comes from the fact that it's a wizard story. It's weird. It's strange. And it has these mystical, weird qualities to it. And it's, you can tie it, you you can enjoy it on that level, you know, without worshiping that. Now, does it take a little bit, does it draw a little bit of its Feyness from the supernatural? I mean, I think it does. I think that's what it's trying to do. And is there a death and resurrection motif that resonates because that's at the center of the way that God made the world? Yes. Sure. Not not arguing against that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't make that the exclusive like thing you want to talk about then to make these stories worthwhile. Yeah. So I agree with that. I think that, yes, it's like, an, the other thing that bothers me about that line of thinking is that they take that pretty obvious conclu- conclusion that mm-hmm. everything would borrow from like the one ultimate truth. And like they make that into like something that's supposed to be profound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds snobby, but I agree 100%. And you're like, yeah, of course. Oh, uh, duh. Yeah, great. But then they also, I mean, they're, they're wonderful because God gave us creative abilities and storytelling abilities. And we like those sorts of things. He gave us the ability to feel pleasure in these sorts of things. And story get, taps into those good gifts that he gave to us. Mm-hmm. In their own way. Yeah. And they can't, they cannot replace the gospel, right? Right. And they shouldn't ever, we, that shouldn't be the only, re- if, we're, if that's the only reason that art has meaning to us, then we're either going to redeem a whole bunch of wicked stuff yep. or we're going to throw about out a whole bunch of good stuff. Yeah. And that's the two, those are the two extremes you see, right? Yeah, they, they really are. And especially in modern evangelical circles, it's like everything has to be, yeah, so you get the weird homeschooly movies that are really bad, mm-hmm. or the books that are written by like homeschool authors that are just this, like, just yeah. please keep those away from me. They're bad things because they're poorly written and they're just like cheap morality tales. Well, it's almost like people feel guilty about just enjoying something on the level of enjoyment. You know, yeah. like I, I can't just read about a wizard and a bal- Balrog and enjoy it. So unless I can come up with a reason that it specifically points me back to Christ, then it is a, definitely a waste of my time Yeah, and no good. So uh, it's like you're stuck between, the, this is false dichotomy of either it's complete garbage or it's a grand, wonderful metaphor for the ultimate truth. And that's basically what it, all it is. Yeah. And that's just not the way that God made the world. He gave us yeah. lots of pleasures that, yes, are they all ultimately grounded in the fact that Christ came, died and rose again? Yeah. But, should it all draw us back to being thankful and to being aware that he made us and that these are good gifts that he gave to us? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Just like every time you eat a strawberry, right. you should think about, wow, God gave me taste buds. He made the strawberry. This is amazing. But, but also, not, we, do, we but don't write should, articles about- Yeah, you should, every time you eat, buy a strawberry, you shouldn't be like, tasting the strawberry makes me realize that Christ died for me. <laughs> right. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and this strawberry in its death in my stomach acids 
is rising again to new life in my blood veins. That is the le- I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> that, that's, that is what people do with stories. And yeah. it's like, A, what a lame, if the best thing you can get to work yourself up into feeling some feels about your religion, the closest that you can come to a religious experience is by reading about Gandalf and a Balrog. Like, you're doing something wrong. Like, you need to go to church. You need to pray. <laughs> you know? yeah. Not that it's all about religious feeling. Don't Don't hear what I'm not saying, folks. But He's like, come on, is that, is that how paltry your diet of wonder in God is that you need Gandalf and a Balrog to point you to Christ? Here's an idea. Read the Gospels. Apparently they do, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, apparently. They need this. That, there is, there, yeah, what you were saying, it is so paltry that they do need that. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's, uh, strawberry's a good metaphor. I, I was also thinking you and I both, share a common love of the stars and yes. constellations and stuff like that. And when you gaze out into the heavens, do you think this is God's handiwork and it's wonderful? Yes, you do. But is there any other level on which you can enjoy the stars? I want to say, yes, there is. Like you can just say, these stars are cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is neat. I'm glad God made it. And yes, it is. It, it does point back to his glory, but I can also just like, take a minute to enjoy the stars. Yeah. Like, and that's not blasphemy or, or lack of gratitude or, or anything else. No, and often trying to do the other way becomes very, it either is hiding hypocrisy or it's um, hiding something else, mm-hmm. pride, whatever it is. In other words, you're wanting to make yourself seem holier than thou. Yeah, there, it, I wouldn't know exactly how to advise someone to draw the line on this, but I know what you mean. There's the kind of person that, like someone who sincerely is thankful to God and sees God in everything, doesn't feel the need to talk about it all the time, actually. Like for them, the fact that God made the stars is so self-evident and obvious that they don't have to stop every time someone points out a constellation or something cool like that and say, aren't we glad that God made the stars? And like you said, this this is a difficult line to draw because. I went through a phase where when I realized a lot of people who did that were hypocritical, Mm -hmm. then I was like, well, anybody who ever does that is hypocritical. Yeah. That's wrong. There are some really sincere people out there who just find it really easy in their life to be constantly saying things like that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we could both name people that could do that. Right. And I tend to, well, I think you were about to say what I was about to say. I tend to be cynical about that kind of person in a way that I shouldn't. It can be very unfair. Right. Yeah. They, Yeah. They must be lying or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you can't take away that there is there is a metaphor here, whether Tolkien meant for there to be one or not, but... He's all... So there are some of the other weird feigness about this book that I forgot about, like, and we talked about it with the Fellowship of the Ring, the mm. visions they have at the beginning. Yeah. Some of that weirdness. So yeah, you have, but you have to draw the line between... Tolkien obviously believed in a supernatural world mm-hmm. that interacts with this world. That does not mean then that he was trying to... Only when that interaction happened, say that it was a gospel interaction. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes a miracle can happen, like Gandalf, and it not be a, a, a explicitly a one-to-one relation with, mm-hmm. like Aslan is a one-to-one relation. Right. You know, for whatever you make of that, if you're on Tolkien's side or if you're on Lewis's side, whatever. But that's a one-to-one relation. But I don't think in Tolkien's case it is. I think that in his case, he was just trying to create a fantasy world wherein the supernatural can interact with ours. And it does very often, like even through the elves, it does a bit mm-hmm. like when they awaken trees and right. stuff like that. I mean, it's just not so simple and straightforward. Yeah. I mean, I think just reading, just doing a cursory reading of Tolkien, what you get the idea, there's a God of this universe and he is sovereign over everything, but it's not explicitly metaphorical, explicitly typological, explicitly... Yeah anything else it's just when good people try really hard yeah good things happen and you know if you want to know more than that you can you can read the similarian i guess but yeah it's on the level of well and we've talked a lot about the arthurian overtones and the beowulfian overtones and stuff like that you have that sort of supernatural Mm -hmm. interaction like with the grail weirdness like that that's getting that gets involved with this the swords that are powerful yeah, you have that sort of medieval feeling of everything having its own spirit or its own, yeah. I don't want to say it's pantheistic or you know, it's not Pocahontas, but luckily, 
too bad. I mean, there is the part where Gandalf sings about the colors of the wind. Yes. And and Samwise is famously a raccoon. Samwise is famously a raccoon, and Mary is a little uh, flitty hummingbird thing. Yeah. And that is probably the principal source of the novel's power, I would say. Treebeard is old will- oh, that little willow lady. Yeah. Listen with your heart, and you will understand. <laughs> That's her song. <laughs> yep. Thank just, you, Nathan. Just watched it for Sanity at the movies. Let it wash upon you like the wave upon the sand. Best Disney movie of all time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought so. I mean, is that probably number two? Is that Darred Cat? Yeah. Number three has got to be one of the Herbie movies. Oh, yeah. Number four, The Apple Dumpling Gang Returns. Yeah. And then number five... I don't even know that I want to put anything else in the class with those four. No, those are the best. Those are the best. <sighs> well, okay. So enough said about Gandalf and all that stuff. Yeah. Gandalf comes back. He's just as grumpy as ever. Oh, man, is he? And we are going to ride to Rohan. We're going to get our first real taste of Theoden and the Rohanese, the Rohirrim. That's what they're mm. called. And taste. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it tastes like horse. Tastes like horse. What do you think? They, they eat lots of meat in Rohan, right? I would expect so. If they were Americans, they'd be like barbecue and stuff. Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I assume Maybe they drink, a burger. Yeah. They, they, many a Burger King dots the landscape of, of yeah. Roh- Rohan, I would think. Yeah, I think so. And some cool, cheap barbecue places. Gondor is more like uh, Panera bread. No, those are the elves. The elves are more Panera bread. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the Ro- Rohan and the scene of Theoden being redeemed? Oh, another uh, redemptive Woo-hoo. metaphor. <laughs> well, uh, this is one of the places where the movie differs quite a bit from the way the book handles it. The movie goes way over the top and just makes it into a pure demon <laughs> possession, which is yeah. pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> but here, um, well, and also the movie chooses to skew him much younger. Mm-hmm. Because he's actually pretty old, and this, this was at least my read on it. As he's actually the way that he looks when he's possessed in the movie is closer to the way you imagine him than the way he looks. Because in the movie, like all his wrinkles just disappear, and he becomes he this, becomes like this forty-year-old dude. Yeah, <laughs> maybe fifty. <laughs> yeah, more 50. He's, he's probably in his fifties, but but still not old. Know. He's got many a year of rain. Yeah, not too many more though. You no. know, because he's gonna get killed. Well, that's true. Spoilers. <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> um. But the woman's going to kill the Nazgul. The woman uh, is going to kill king, the Nazgul. The witch king. Oh, boy. Are we going to have to talk about her at some point? Feminism. You know, I think it might be. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. It's a little bit. Hey, yeah. you know, that Tolkien was pretty progressive. Yeah. Was he? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a crusty conservative yeah. Catholic to me. Probably. He wasn't a big fan of Vatican II. I can tell you that much. I remember picking that factoid up along the way somewhere. I will say... I remembered that the movie was different than the book. I, I was used to the, because I've seen the movie a lot in the interim since I've read the book. So I was used to the ham-fisted way the movie was doing it. Yeah. I was protecting the, expecting that the book would be very subtle and psychological and character-driven. The book's still just a pretty straightforward piece of pageantry. Yeah. I mean, it's just like Gandalf goes in there, declares Thed and free, and Thedin's like, okay, I'm free. Yeah, but the, yeah, and there's, but there's not the, like the... Struggle between Saruman and Gandalf. No, no, no. And yeah. The, yeah, it's it's very it's different because they. Yeah, I don't think I'd picked up on this until, or at least put my finger on it until just now. But I think the movies we're so used to sort of the Harry Potter magic world, mm-hmm. where magic is like outright with um, glitz and glamour and fireworks. Yeah, that the movie plays that up more. Yes. These books are much more subtle. It's a lot more in the words and it's a lot more um, under the surface what's happening. So in other words, like we don't see explosions and stuff coming out of Gandalf's staff. Mm-hmm. We don't see him having a wizard's duel where he's spinning in circles. You have we the impression don't. that if you walked in on Gandalf and Sorman having a wizard, like in the movie that when they have their quote unquote wizard's duel, they're throwing each other around the room. In the book, you get the impression if you did walk in on that kind of a wizard's duel, all you'd see is two old guys staring at each other and kind of muttering concentrating and yeah muttering under their breath there wouldn't there wouldn't be much yeah there wouldn't be much drama to it right and so and that's that's different here in the so like i i don't think did the windows go dark and all that in the book yeah i don't remember that yeah i don't remember i don't think so so really the tension is that he gets a staff in Mm -hmm. and then it's like poof you're free it's like yes i am Mm -hmm. worm tongue's bad yes he is (laughs) (laughs) he sure is (laughs) 
And Worm Tongue is less. I mean, he's still pretty grimy, but not quite. I think is any place the movie can go over the top, it will. Like Worm yeah. Tongue, the Worm Tongue of the movie. Me and Jake just recorded the Sanity of the Movies episode, and the Worm Tongue of the movie is just like, why would anybody ever trust trust this guy? Yeah, he, he looks like the world's cheesiest goth rocker <laughs> past his prime goth <laughs> yeah emo. that's true <laughs> like, like you, what you would have to be under saruman's spell <laughs> yeah exactly so like, no wonder everybody else figured it out but in, he's in like making bu- a steeple of his of his fingers yeah. and talking like this <laughs> yeah his eyes are like moving over aon like he's just a creeper like nobody would ever this, this guy would never be hired yeah anyway but in the book I think there's more of that. He's creepy, but there's more of that charm and charisma to him. That You don't imagine him as looking abnormal or anything. You imagine him as no. just looking like an advisor to Theoden would look, just another yeah. nobleman. Yep. That Gandalf has figured out, but that's because Gandalf is a pretty discerning guy yeah, but, compared you know, to everyone else. Seems like so, he's got some Seems like a fair way to categorize Gandalf. Yep. Yeah, a discerning sort of dude. I guess that's my comment of Thad and Hall is just the d- difference between it and the movie. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like what you said, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Not a lot of pad, a lot, no, a lot of pageantry. I, I, is, is it is it is it sacrilegious to say? No, I'm almost certainly going to agree with whatever you're going to say. I enjoy the stuff with the hobbits in the forest much more than I do with Rohan and Gandalf and all that. You know, that is such a flip flop of what I expected going back to this book. And maybe it's just because I've been brainwashed by Jackson, who clearly doesn't give a rip about Treebeard or the Hobbits and just wants to tell the story of the men. I also think when I was a kid and I was listening to my mom read this book or I read this book as a preteen, I was probably more interested in the men and in the great doings of the heroes. But man, I think that this book, I don't remember if we said anything to this effect last time, but I think that this whole book, book three of the books is the most boring of of them just because, and if, if there's a second most boring, it's the one that takes place with Pippin and Gondor and all that stuff. Like the men are actually kind of, were a drag this time around. I did not, I I didn't think it was awful. I just, I just didn't really enjoy my time all that much. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't want to overstate my case. Positive energy. These books are great. It's all great. But on a relative scale of greatness, I, I would actually much rather read about the hobbits and their adventures and the relatively linear narrative of a hobbit going on a journey and crazy stuff happening to them. Yeah. Like the original Hobbit is somehow just better, suits Tolkien, I think, better than all the kind of battle drawing of alliances and people going from here to there. Yep. Yeah, I just don't think that, well, Tolkien's very good at this sort of fantasy world building. Mm-hmm. He's good at writing the Hobbit characters, like right. we said, and the Gandalf characters. Mm-hmm. But um, man, I don't know how to say this without offending a lot of people. His men are all the same. He's not, yeah, he's not. So we made the point that even Shakespeare's a little bit one dimensional sometimes, yeah, but he's sure. still not a Shakespeare. His characters aren't as interesting with their motivations, with things like that as a Shakespeare character, right? So, in other words, I think, and they definitely, and people are going to, people who know the book, I think are just going to roll their eyes when I say this. They definitely are not as interesting as a Tolstoy character. No. Or a Jane Austen character. I mean, to be fair, I just think Tolkien doesn't care that much about psychology. I think he's just not yes. interested in it. Yeah, and I was, that's where I was going to, I just don't think, if, if that's what you want from a novel, you're not going to get that from these. Mm-hmm. And so the other place I wanted to go with it was that if maybe that's actually a benefit because I, from everything I've seen, people who try to do that with fantasy worlds just end up with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And from what I've been able to tell with Game of Thrones, it's not really all that much worth your time. No, I, I, I mean, I know some people think it's pretty good. I suppose I, it can be admitted. I've, I watched the first couple seasons and then well, decided more of the books too evil to watch, but yeah, yeah. all that series does is says, what kinds of different perversity can we give these characters to delineate them and make them interesting? And I guess it is interesting, but man, it's a slog and Mm -hmm. it goes nowhere slowly. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I I think I've made this point before and I'm sorry, folks, we're doing a lot of episodes on Tolkien and we're just going to repeat ourselves a little bit, but I will say Tolkien's ear for dialogue and his particular voice is so strong that just hearing Tolkien talk through his avatars to each other is always pretty charming, whether it's Aragorn talking to Aemir yeah. or 
Gimli talking to Legolas or even even these characters that aren't particularly well defined. I do like spend spending time with them. I mean, it's almost similar to Shakespeare, not in similar to Shakespeare in this. They're both good writers. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like Tolkien can bring that dialogue to life. It isn't just I mean you're, you're right not reading Conan the Barbarian or someone where someone's just saying the most basic yeah. and boring thing that they possibly could be saying. Shakespeare can give his characters different in the way they speak, but often Shakespeare's characters just sound like a Shakespeare character. But Shakespeare being the greatest writer in the world, you don't really care. They can all talk like Shakespeare because that just means we get to read more Shakespeare. Great. Yeah. Or listen to more Shakespeare. And Tolkien is similar in that way, I think, in that I, I do like his, 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 he has a nice ear for dialogue. He's got a wry sense of humor. It's just funny and charming what his characters are interested in, the little fights that they have. You know, earlier, Ar- Aramir annoying Gimli by not respecting the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. And it turning into kind of a running thing. Or Legolas and Gimli counting notches of guys that they've killed. Yeah. There's just things like that that are charming. It's nice. They don't do anything to delineate the characters at all. The fact that um, the elf can skateboard on a shield. Yeah, no, that's obviously the high point of all of Tolkien's writing. Yes, and Legolas did jump upon the shield. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and fear was smote in the hearts of his enemies. Yes. <laughs> As he hung tin <laughs> down <laughs> Helm Deep's wall. <laughs> yeah, I love that chapter, hanging tin down Helm's Deep wall. It's, yeah. it's weird that Tolkien spends an entire chapter just describing what Peter Jackson was able to do in a matter of but seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It is epic, yeah. yeah. And then when they all sing songs about it yes, at the end. and It's the best songs in the book. They are far. the best songs in the book by far. <laughs> yeah. And then the 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 appendices just called On Surfing. Yeah. I love that. It's fantastic. And I'm glad stuff. Jackson was able to incorporate that so much into his Hobbit movies and have Legolas surf on spiders and barrels and dwarves and stones and yes, <laughs> all kinds of things. It's great stuff. Shield surfing is where it's at. Brendan, would you like to go shield surfing with me? I would go shield surfing with you anytime, Nathan. How much money do the patrons have to give us? <laughs> to go shield surfing? <laughs> For oh, us man. to figure out some version of shield surfing. Man. Uh, get us up to that 1500 level mm-hmm. before the end of July. Yeah. And we will figure out a way. We will go shield surfing we will, somehow. We will get a shield. <laughs> and we will surf on We it. will stand on... The shield. The shield and stand on stairs and... We will surf. We may not have any bookending episodes after that, with, at least with all of us, because one of us may be dead. No. <laughs> but at least the others will enjoy that sweet money. And, and whoever lives, will post the video on our Patreon. Yes. There you go. Brandon Mead, guaranteed. Get us to 1500. We will shield surf. That's right. And Tolkien would be so proud. Oh, he'd be so proud. You know, I <laughs> going back to what we were actually talking about, it strikes me because Tolkien was such a Beowulf guy and such a, you know, he, he basically brought Beowulf back to the public consciousness, right? He did, yes. It just seems like, if I can read between the lines, Tolkien must have really loved the way that those characters work. You know, just the basic two-dimensional nobility of Beowulf yeah. and his friends. And you have a lot of situ- situations in Tolkien that are basically just adaptations of the scene in Beowulf. I forget the guy's name, but he's like an evil counselor. And he's like, Beowulf doesn't have any courage. Beowulf's stupid. He's leading us astray. And then Beowulf's like, no, I'm great. And then the king's like, yes, Beowulf is great. You yeah. should be ashamed of yourself, evil counselor. Tolkien takes that scene and makes it into any number of scenes. Which, to be fair, I mean, we can read between the lines that these people aren't as complicated as they seem when they're in their public figure. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like we see that even in our day to day lives, and the presidents and senators and all these are Supreme Court justices. They sort of have a two dimensional characterization mm-hmm. that uh, we know that they don't really have. I, I will say, when, uh, when President Trump got the Palantir and yeah. actually looked into it, that was awesome. And managed to make Obama fall off of that tower. Yes. And they strove together. Yep. That was a great, probably the supreme moment for the president, pre, the presidency, if not for America. That was amazing. Yeah. When he disappeared for a while and because he felt that Balrog and then came back. <laughs> and came back. Was his, his hair Donald turned, the White. Turned, turned orange. <laughs> <Yes>. Donald Dwight. <laughs> that might not be so good, actually. You know, I'm going to leave that in, but I'm not going to say anything else about it. (laughs) Donald the White. 
I also get the impression, if I'm reading between the lines, that Tolkien just really likes the Grendel section. Like, that's what he really wants to do, mm-hmm. is just have, write those kinds of adventures. And, like, that's what sparks his imagination more than the, than the pageantry. Yep. <sighs> okay. Well, now we're to Helm's Deep. Which Ooh. It's a very short chapter. It's a very short chapter. Not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got uh, all the markings of a great... Tolkien chapter, you have some excitement, some tension, some people do some brave things, mm-hmm. some gunpowder goes off. There is some of that, right? I was surprised to remember that there was gunpowder. I thought but the that elves don't Peter show Jack- up. No, they don't. There is actually no surfing. No. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah, that is too bad. You do have Aragorn and Theoden ride out together. Aragorn does go outside the wall and fight off like a thousand bad guys. That's like, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Tolkien, or uh, Jackson didn't actually exaggerate as much as I thought I'd remembered yeah. that he had. All he exaggerated was the length of time. Yes. It's not uh, three quarters of the book. You know, but as I argued in the Two Towers movie episode that me and Jake did, I just think in my imagination as a kid, this chapter, I guess you didn't read this book as a kid. You were, no. what you said you were already I was in, in your my 20s teens or something. Already, yeah. yeah, so... This chapter loomed so large in my consciousness. This was the not just the coolest chapter of Tolkien, which it was, but it was also the coolest chapter of literature, probably. Like yeah. this, this was the battle. This was the action scene to beat. Like nothing in Tolkien comes close. Maybe Gandalf and the Balrog, but not really. Definitely not the final thing in Pelennor Fields. Pelennor yeah. Fields didn't come close. It was too highfalutin and kind of written in that quasi biblical yeah. style that kind of drags things down. But this was just cool. It had orc heads rolling, stuff like that. Yep. It was violent. It was scary. It was cool. It was big. Coming back to it, it didn't really feel all that exciting to me, I will admit. Once again, I like this book. I like this chapter. But it loomed large in my imagination. I don't actually know that Peter Jackson could have made it all that much smaller in the way that he structured his movies. It did. If it was going to live up to, at least anecdotally, my feelings about it, it needed to be pretty big. Yeah. Because I just thought that this chapter. Well, this is where you have all Saruman's army mm-hmm. coming up to fight all of Rohan. It's got to be big. It just happens that you can write about that in a shorter time than you can show it in a movie. Yeah. I, I have some. We trashed that Two Towers movie. We we barely wanted to talk about it. Like, it's it's pretty lame going back to it all these years. Even the things that seemed good about it are lame. But having said that, I sympath- I still, like I said in our fellowship of the ring movies episode that you were on i understand where why jackson had the trouble that he had i sympathize with the problems i don't sympathize with the solutions Uh, is there anything else to say about the battle of helm's deep not really such an iconic chapter for my childhood but there's not a lot to say about it it's just maneuvers and fighting fighting gandalf and the trees show up yep which is nice it's a whole different person that gandalf is showing up with he shows up with Hamstringer of Hellfast or something. Yeah, Hamstring the Hellfast. Yeah. Some guy he had to go off and find, right? It's not Amr this time. Yeah. The, movie, the movies had to make it that Amr decides to go off and do his own thing because he's been ousted by Wormtongue via the king. Well, the movies, that movie in particular, their solution to every problem is to make the character into a pouty loser. Yeah. Faramir is a pouty loser, loser who's going to try and take the ring for himself Aemer is a pouty loser who's going to go off and not help the king. Theoden's a pouty loser that doesn't want to work well with Aragorn. And it's basically because they have to time things such that the battle can be their climax. They have to stretch things out. And their solution every single time is, ah, well, this was a pouty loser who didn't play well with others. And it's completely dispiriting and no fun to watch. And I'm for the actually the movies fleshing these characters out because there's not a lot to, especially some of these people from the world of men, but fleshing them out and making them that much more pathetic. Doesn't quite work. Doesn't really quite work. There you have it. There you have it. So I guess really the only thing to talk about is you got Flotsam and Jetsam and the road to Isengard. Anything you want to say about any of those? Not really. I forgot how much I enjoy being with Miriam Pippin. It's fun. It It's one of the things that makes you realize what a drag <laughs> the world of men kind of is. Yeah. When you're back to Miriam Pippin, it's like, oh, this is nice. This is this feels like the fellowship. Yeah. So that's great. I'm 
It's fun seeing the downfall of Saruman kind of through the eyes of the hobbits where they're not really invited, just kind of invited. Well, he's even got a sentence like Pippin stood there feeling like an idiot that he'd even come, which is a relatable. It puts you there in the action because if you or I were in the situation, we wouldn't be the great guy that was talking to Saruman. We'd be the idiot that was just kind of just tagged along on the outsides of somebody forgot to tell them not to come basically. Well, what is there to say about Soramon, did you think he was a credit? This is actually the first real, again, we have that thing that doesn't have a literary term yeah. where Gandalf tells a story about Saruman at the Council of Elrond, but this is actually our first time I think, in the narrative. Yeah, so you're asked, does he live up to it? Yeah. I think that the way that Tolkien gets around it, which is hard to do in a movie, is that it's not just through the words he uses, but the way he says it. Mm-hmm. And so you get to imagine it and you get to fill in all the spaces as to how the music of his words would be so entrancing. Right. And so it's very evocative that way because it leaves it to your imagination, which is where the power of it would come from in the first place is playing off your feelings and your imagination, right? And so you get to, it gets to work on you that way. Yeah. Well, in a movie it's limited because it then has to try and mimic it, mm-hmm. right? It has it's got to be literal somehow. Yeah. And so I do think that Tolkien has that in his power because he already, like you said, he can write dialogue mm-hmm. really well. And so he lets then his description of how the dialogue would have sounded kind of play with you there. And so, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Is he telling us that Soromon's this way and just doing a good job of telling us this way? Or is he showing us that Soromon's this way? I think that he, from what I remember from the conversation, from Soromon's speech, I think he does a good job. Showing he actually us writes too. dialogue that you could see yeah. being this persuasive. So and- you can see, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty persuasive when he's talking to Thad and when he's talking to the other guys, you could see why this would be convincing. Mm-hmm. And you had already mentioned that when Gandalf talks to Saruman the first time, and Saruman <clears throat> is using his reasoning for why, you know, we may as well hedge our bets and then we'll be the ones to take over. Right. Right. His logic seems pretty good and he makes it sound pretty good. Tolkien's enough of a writer and enough of a student of language and rhetorician that he can, he can, he could have been a speech writer for old Winston Churchill that he wanted to be. Yeah. Well, and this is the one villain that he lends some, what's the word i wanted to say dignity but that's not quite right this villain actually is allowed to be persuasive usually they're yeah. just like like when we meet the mouth of sauron he's just like i hate you all <laughs> you <know? laughs> but surrender and you'll be okay <laughs> right psych <laughs> he calls gandalf old Greybeard. yeah which is, is that know, in the books or in the... That, that's in both okay I, I really like the mouth of sauron in the movies though <laughs> yeah those teeth it's just kind of a dork yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like him. I like him. I think he's adorable. But, you know, <laughs> Man, Smeagol. If we could only have him come on the podcast. That would be great. Let's see if we can get the mouth of Sauron. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, I'll have my people <laughs> reach out. You think we can get Sauron on? I don't know. He lost physical form for good there. Yeah. Maybe he can still manipulate, like. Maybe he could possess the microphone. Or possess something. the microphone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or he could, uh, maybe he could, like, possess Jake's wart or, like, the back of his head or something. Ooh, yeah. That's nice. In fact, Let's do that. Next time you hear from people from Jake, folks, remember it's Sauron that's really speaking. Yeah. We might not be in a position to remind you. I mean, we'll probably be scared out of our skin. Yeah, I bet we will. I mean, Sauron, not a nice guy. Not at all. But yes, remember it, this is Booking in Canon. Jake is Sauron. Next time we talk to him. Next time we talk to him, you will be hearing the voice of Sauron. The voice of Sauron. Yeah. Terrifying stuff. People. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about Soromon and whether he was credible as a villain. Like, is there someone without the aid aid of magic that has that power of words? And I was trying to think, like, who who do I just find persuasive in spite of myself? And there are a number of people. Actually, one of them for me, I'll make a weird confession on this podcast, is Rob Bell. I find I've listened to a couple of his podcasts. I actually stopped listening to his podcast. We're going to say Hitler. <laughs> yeah, one of them for me, Adolf Hitler. You know, the guy just made some great points. <laughs> At least we dodged that bullet. <laughs> I'm glad we. <laughs> no, the Hitler of modern. What's that? What's, what's emergent the, Christianity? Emergent Christianity. That's what I was looking for. Rob Bell. Oh yeah. He's actually. I don't know. Actually, a lot of those emergent guys actually they're very persuasive with their rhetoric, and and, and it's the stuff that I obviously don't agree with at all. But you listen to Rob Bell, and he just has a way of. I listen to one podcast. I've only ever listened to one, just out of 
morbid curiosity. And I found myself 15 minutes in and really intrigued. I, I wanted to hear what this guy had to say. And I knew it was garbage. I knew it was evil. But he was just asking these interesting questions and talking about the way that society was today. And yep. it was in a way that really resonated with me. You know, he's talking about dreamers that are, that are held down or something like that. And it's like, who doesn't? Who doesn't feel that? Who doesn't feel that? Yep. And you know, I mean, it's, it's an obvious S- trick, but. Especially since you're in a straight jacket. I am in a straight jacket and I'm dreaming right now, yeah. actually. <laughs> I, I don't, don't really exist. Yeah, no, Brendan Brenda doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> at all. But it was just like, here was a guy and he was weaving a web and it was quite effective. And I knew it was, it's a Christian podcast, so I have to say garbage. It was garbage. <laughs> garbage. Garbage. Yep. And it made me think of professors and people I've known, you know, just bad. Yeah, I've, I have fell, fallen prey to that sort of thing, Nathan. Yeah, people so. that are all flash and no substance, but the flash is compelling. Yes. And I don't even know what all it is. I mean, for a lot, it can be things besides the vocal quality. It can be a woman who's pretty or someone who has a good accent. Or accident. Someone who has a good axe. <laughs> accident. <laughs> good axe to grind. A good axe to grind. I suppose we could make some kind of parallel to President Trump here. Usually some sort of charisma. Yeah. And charisma is one of those things that's pretty hard to define. Yes. Actually. Some people just have it. Uh, one, one thing that I, I remember listening to a podcast, I don't remember what this podcast was or why I was listening to it, but the guy was a liberal and he interviewed some people who had given to Trump's campaign around the time that President Trump was elected. And what these people said was, we thought he was an idiot. And then we got in a room with him and he's just a very persuasive man. And you can't bottle that quality. You can't really even describe that quality, but it's just like one-on-one Trump is really good. And that's always been an interesting fact to me because it does, you know, I'm not being political here, folks. I don't care what you think about President Trump, really. And I'm not even going to say in this context what I think. But one thing that I will say is sometimes you just look at President Trump and you're like, how does he, how does he get away with any of this? (laughs) How do people take him seriously? And I think one of the answers is probably that when he's sitting across the table from you and looking you in the eye and you have his full attention, he's persuasive. He's mesmerizing. He's, he's hypnotic. He's, he just has that, that X factor, whatever that X factor is. He's got it. He's got it. Okay. Then we have the Palantir, another evil object full of temptation. How about that? You have it. Yep. (laughs) It's got that charisma. Yeah. It's got that charisma. You just want to look into that thing. Pippin certainly couldn't stop himself. Nope. That's good. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, me neither. About these, I mean, we're going to get into Frodo and Sam and Gollum. There's going to be a lot to say about but that. But I don't I think, think we'll get to that this episode. No, I think we're just finishing up. So it's a way to show the danger of this. Well, it's like the danger of the dark side, mm-hmm. right? If you dabble with it, it's going to poison you. And so we'd already have a little bit of that with Frodo and his wound that never will heal. And here you have it again with a Palantir and Pippin looking into it. There's a good little bit of character development that's kind of um, thrown in there with Pippin not giving away any information. Mm-hmm. So there's like this innate, like the Palantir almost tested Pippin's qualities as well. Mm-hmm. And he proved to be maybe stupid, but at least, what does Gandalf say? This is almost like his stupidity has ended up being a yeah a virtue. He might be stupid, but honest, I think is what he said. Yeah. Right. And so he didn't give, he didn't ruin them. Right. right. Pippin so. lost, brought, if Pippin had brought any more innate corruption to it, then he would have been much easier to corrupt than. Yeah. And they would have all been ruined. Right. And that was the fear and the risk. And it's, it's, it's good in a story like this to have always these moments where everything could fall apart mm-hmm. to just to show the risk and the danger involved. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. And it also helps drive the story forward because, you know, they'll run off together on Shadowfax there at the end. And yep. That's the way it ends. That's how it ends. Uh, what are your overarching thoughts on this book of Lord of the Rings? Um, I think, yeah, not my favorite. I like the Ents better than I remembered liking them and like the rest of the stuff less than I remembered liking it. 
none of it bad enough that I like wouldn't want to read it again. No, this is not us doing a Lewis and being all negative. We're just no, talking. Just, I'm just being honest, people. Yeah. So far, I have enjoyed the fellowship more than I enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. But the it's good still. It's great. Yeah. And um, I will have lots of good things to say about Gollum. Yeah, he's a I great wish, guy. I wish I could go and get a drink with Gollum. Yeah, let's do an, it. Let's get him on the podcast. Yeah, he'd be an interesting person to have a drink with. Yeah, I, I feel I feel the same way. I this stuff is important for me to restate though how much this section, how much this section connected with me as a kid. All the heroism and daring do and just the adventure of guys with swords basically yep. seemed really cool when I was but a lad. So maybe this part didn't work quite as well or seem quite as strong as I remembered it, but that's just partially because I remember it being very strong and instead it was just strong. If you could do a podcast with any two characters from Lord of the Rings, Brandon, who would you do it? We've talked about having Sauron on. We've talked about having Smeagol on. If I could have it with just two characters. Yeah. And yourself as the host, we'll say. Huh, that's a good question. Yeah. I feel like maybe. Gandalf would get irritated and walk out like halfway through the yeah, podcast. Yeah, he wouldn't want to sit down and talk. Maybe Merry and Pippin. It could be pretty fun. It could be fun. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily learn a lot, but. Yeah. Um, definitely not Tom Bombadil. That'd be weird. No. <laughs> Make your microphone disappear or something yeah. like that. Uh, Aragorn actually could be pretty interesting. To have on a podcast? Yeah. That guy's lived a long time. He's probably got some stories. Yeah, maybe Aragorn and um, I bet Gimli would be pretty fun. Yeah, maybe just a bit of a cliche perhaps. Maybe just uh, Gimli and Legolas are the ones you yeah. want to have on the podcast. Yeah. They've got to participate in some very cool events and surely have a lot of stories and you can learn about dwarf culture and elf culture. and Yeah, I think it'd be very fun. Yeah. So there, I think that's that's a good answer, Nathan. All right. Well, let's shout out our patrons. If you want a patron shout out, donor shout out, I should say, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the booking, T-H-E-B-O-O-K-E-N-I-N-G. You can sign up for as little as $10 a month and we will shout you out as we are about to do. So you ready to shout them out, Brandon? Yeah. We don't have Jake here to force you guys to do some crazy thing so i guess we'll just shout them out here we'll go we'll go backwards how about that sounds good uh saxophone alex saxophone alex john bombadillo bomb diggity and captain tenille his mate john bombadillo bombadillity and bombadillity ja- bombadillity and captain tenille's mate jacqueline the librarian barbarian jacqueline the librarian barbarian cold steel cody cold steel cody tyler the keeper of eternal darkness tyler, or the, the keeper, keeper of eternal yeah, light and, yep both of those sweet jamie sunshine sweet jamie sunshine manny 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 eric and kate the camp champ kings who are warm and love bees champ kings who are cold and love bees warm and love bees timothy the writer at dawn timothy the writer at dawn jay rack and ruin jay rack and ruin return of the jedediah return of the jedediah queen congetta queen congetta midnight ninja ellen midnight ninja ellen leopard tank thomas leopard tank thomas leopard trank leopard trank thomas leopard trank thomas leopard tank thomas rachel rachel Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Anthony, who's cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit Anthony, of cheese. Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. No constrictor. No constrictor. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, I love you too. Professor and Lady X. Professor and Lady X. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Benny and Dana Tiberius. DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Danny the Dude. Danny the Dude. Ryan the Red Avenger and Ryan Judith Red, the, the of the Ladies Lady of Justice. Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Maya. Maya. Nathan Ami. Nathan Ami. Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Council of Fire Matter. The Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness Mother Beth. Jade and Kitty, who are cold and love cheese, and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Hey, guys. <laughs> John and Jill and Little Baby Max. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. All right. These last six or seven, I'm just going to give you the initials, and then, okay. and then you tell me who they are. Sweet. TK. The Keith Master. A and E. T.L. Andrew and Esther and... 
They're baby. <laughs> eh, they used to have a baby. Now they're just Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. Oh, yeah. L of the V. Lily of the Valley. J-B-A-L-A-O. Say that one again. J-B. And uh, Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. V-I-C-E. The. I. I. C-E. It's not the incandescent Marinith because she's already gone. The, no, uh, but it is basically that formulation. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Immortal Chelsea E. L-A-C-S. L-A-C-S. This is a business. Oh, yeah. Little Anthony Cigar Store. The A-A-D. The uh, amazing, the Artful Anthony Dodgers. R-N-R. T-L. Robert and Ron to the Lovebirds. And we've got a new one. Oh, you're going to give me the initials for this one? <laughs> e. E. Eeyore. Close. Elmo. No. Uh, Ebert. Let me, ooh, uh, let me see if I can give you a literary clue. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of famous literary characters that have the same name as this Elliot. Person. No. Ichabod. Egghead. All close, but... As insofar as they start with an E. Insofar as they start with an E. Except for Ichabod. Wait a second. Hmm. Boy. Yeah. Not a lot of famous literary characters that have the same name as this guy. Okay. That I can think of. Elton. Nope. I would have given you a Ebert. Nope. All right. He's got a there's a historical figure. That has the same first name, and he invented the cotton gin. Eli. Eli, that's right. Now, was there any literary character? I was trying to think. I don't think so. What's the bad guy's name in Uncle Tom's Cabin? No, his name's Simon. Simon Legree. It's not Eli. I don't even know why I made that association. Simon and Eli, I mean. What's the name of, like, Smorphidious Flip or whatever, the, the, the bad guy in David Copperfield? Oh, that's Uriah. Uriah Heap. All right. Yeah. That's not quite. Smorphidious Flip. Smorphidious Flip. <laughs> Anyways, so this is guy's name, Eli? It's yeah. his nickname? Welcome. No, Eli is his real name. Oh. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the donor shout-out family, Eli. Hi, Eli. Now. Sorry Jake's not here to shout you out. Yeah. He'll shout you in next time, though. And by that oh. time, you'll have a cool name. We need to name it. It'll be Sauron by then, too. That's right. You'll be shouted in by Sauron. Yeah. Which is actually our next spinoff podcast. It's called Shouted In by Sauron. Yeah. Eli. <laughs> One who has seen the Eli. <laughs> there we go. One who has seen the Eli. One who has seen the Eli. <laughs> <laughs> One who has, all right, who has seen, I mean, that doesn't really sound like, can we give him something that makes him sound like Sauron, like a Dark Lord kind of a name? Like the Eye of Eli. The Eye of Eli. I like that. The Eye of Eli. One who has seen the Eli. <laughs> Nathan, you just turned blue. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sorry that Jake couldn't be here. Hope the Balrog's dead and he's climbing his way out. And hopefully he wasn't possessed by Sauron. <laughs> hopefully he wasn't possessed by Sauron. But we know for sure he was. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. He totally was. <laughs> Hey, go to booking. No, go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Support us there. We are trying to get up to 1500. We are. So by the end of July, we will surf. We will shield surf. We're not promising to be successful, but we are promising to get a shield, put it on an incline, step on it. Yes, something will happen. <laughs> try, it, try and make it move <laughs> and film the results. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we'll get the shield. Or the insurance money to fill our bodies after this has been done. But but hey, if you get us to 1500, we'll be able to also do our series on King Arthur. That'll be fun. Which will be super cool. That means we'll get to talk about Mallory. We'll get to talk about Tennyson. <sighs> White. Oh, man. Why do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> White's interesting. White will be fun to talk about. Tennyson, honestly, not my favorite Arthur. But, but we've already got a fun way to segue if you guys get us there before we're done with Tolkien. 
mm-hmm. we will be able to end our Tolkien series with his translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Also, if you do it around now, we can just go into reading, what's this? Because we're going to do Never Let Me Go very soon. Yes, that's right. So, and that guy has a King Arthur. He does. Very giant. Story that we can read. His take on Sir Gawain. Which I've been told by a friend of mine is his favorite work by Ishiguro, not Brandon, but someone else. Anyways, uh, there we go. Yeah, get us to 1500. We will do King Arthur. And we'll come up with a really fun, cool goal for 2000. There we go. Well, uh, 2000. Yeah, 2000. 2000. Okay, well, thank you, folks. And we'll be back next week with Jake. Hopefully. Let me pronounce that word correctly. Hopefully. 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 Precious. Precious. Precious.